Hi, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the HR committee from the Board of Trustees. Um, do we have any public comment? Can, can we start with a roll call? Oh, sure. Thank you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's it's going to be really complicated. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. We have a quorum. Mm-hmm. And nobody has reached out to me for public comments. I, I don't know if any members of the public want to speak or not. Okay. So uh, do I have a motion to approve the minutes from three months ago? I'll make that motion. Do I have a second? That would be you. That would be me. Okay, so I can second the motion. All right. Okay, Uh, anybody have any questions on the minutes? All right, hearing none. All those in favor? Oh, sorry, roll call vote. (laughs) Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. So, Lorna, are you first up on the agenda? I'm going to toggle back and forth. No, actually, um, we have Sophia Newton, who is here to present on our wellness program. Ah, okay. All right, welcome. Thank you. Would you like me to share my screen now? Yes, that'd be great if you could. for having me tonight. Um, I'm here to present uh, on our wellness program. Uh, My name is Sophia Sojourner-Newton and I am the wellness program manager. Okay, so I'll start by reviewing some of the pillars of our program. Our topics today will focus on mental and physical health as well as access to programs and gaps and opportunities for improvement. wellness programs are focused on a few main pillars. Uh, Mental health, which as you know, encompasses many things, including peer-to-peer support, individual psychotherapy, reflective groups like short center rounds or support groups, as well as many other factors. Physical health is how your body feels. Obviously, this is very connected to mental health. In fact, many chronic pain programs focus on mental health strategies to decrease pain. For example, mindfulness, psychotherapy, and biofeedback. And lastly, what connects all health and wellness programs is access. Do folks even know about these programs? Do the classes take place at convenient times or places? Are they free or is there some kind of fee? And lastly, does the leadership and culture support staff self-care? So we must take all these things into consideration when judging the robustness of any workplace wellness program. And so let's move on to our current offerings. This program focuses on physical, emotional, and social health. And all of these are linked by the availability and ease of use. In the next few slides, I'll describe these focus areas in more detail. Let's start with physical health. And we used to have fitness classes on site. But when the pandemic started, we moved our fitness classes to a Zoom virtual format. So far, this format seems really popular. Uh, It affords people more flexibility, uh, especially people working remotely. We've continued our fruit box program under nutrition. 
it, it been going strong the entire pandemic. So people really love their fruits and vegetables that they get once a month um, at each site. And finally, our in-person programs that we used to offer but had to suspend when the pandemic started, uh, I'm actually in the process of getting these started again. And our staff are very, very excited. Okay, moving on. So something that um, we, I think was happening before I got here, I started about a year and a half ago when the pandemic began. Um, but something that we've continued is to provide uh, fun Wellness Wednesday messages that are highlighted each week on our AHS internet on the very front page. And also uh, where Mr. Jackson highlights them at the end of his Wednesday chats. Each week is a different theme from fitness to stress reduction, smoking cessation, mindfulness, um, and nutrition. And these are very popular and helpful. Another part of our program is our wellness webinars. And these are really fantastic because they're actually offered through our EAP program. So they're um, complimentary. Um, I request about one to two seminars every month, usually focusing on stress reduction and resilience. That being said, we had a webinar a few days ago that was on how to create effective meetings. And we it was very popular. I was a bit surprised. And we had about 42 attendees. And it was a very helpful program. And to date, since I've been here, uh, a little over a year, we've had uh, about 21 webinars and we've had uh, 850 people attend. The average attendance is about 40, but we've had some over 100, but on average they tend to be around 40 or 50. Some new and then some returning uh, participants. Now I'd like to tell you about short turnarounds which was actually restarted uh, by our wellness program at AHS a few months ago. And I think it's best said in the words of a participant to explain exactly what it is. So I'm gonna read this and you're welcome to follow along. Choice Rounds is a place where people who don't usually talk about the heart of work are willing to share their vulnerability, to question themselves. This program provides an opportunity for the dialogue that doesn't happen anywhere else in the hospital. So if you've never been to one of these, this is actually what they tend to look like when they're done in person. Right now we're doing ours virtually once a month. Um, facilitators lead conversations and discussion about either a case or a topic. Uh, we have panelists who discuss either the case or topic at the very beginning of the hour. And then after about 20 minutes, uh, it's opened up for guided facilitation. And they have been extremely popular. Um, we actually just started in September and we had 190 people. And this last one in October, uh, about frustration, we had 98. So the first one was in September, what helps when we feel helpless? And the one in October was about frustration when you just want to scream. So I think we can all relate to both of those. And we have a steering committee that informs the topics or cases, which I run monthly. And lastly, I'd like to tell you about a lovely retreat that was held last June. It's a multi-day training program for healthcare workers 
that raises awareness on topics like resilience, trauma, moral injury, and mental health. And I think it's best shown with this lovely video that I am going to play for you. And it's only about, it's just under five minutes. Sophia, I think there's a video dissociation. I uh, maybe I'm the only one not seeing it. Oh, really? Oh no. Yeah, I thought I thought you were still loading it up. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, let me do. I I have multiple ways of doing this. I I thought about this. Let <laughs> <laughs> play it on my YouTube. Hold on. Sorry, everyone. Thank you for telling me. Good adaptation. Nice. <laughs> there's no sound. That is me. <laughs> I think 1440 is a really unique challenge in this world. The vision here that we have at 1440 is creating hope for living well. 1440 is a Yeah, I I can't really I can't hear anybody. Yeah, oh, Sophia, yeah. it's it's it's. I think uh, the wife it's super choppy. Sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> I can email you all the link or send it to you or put it in the chat. So I apologize, but essentially, it's a really wonderful program, and some of the quotes from our staff were actually on the video. So some of our staff are featured in the video. So it's very meaningful. Um, but I will share it and you can see it another time. So let me get this up and then I will finish. Okay. Okay. We've done a great many things this past year, and yet there's always ways to improve. Um, I'm working on a gap benefit analysis right now, but some of the gaps that I see currently are peer-to-peer support programs. So this can look in many different ways. Uh, there are programs like Beta Heart, uh, which is a care for the caregiver program. Short Center Rounds has an f- emotional first aid program that they will train members on also. Um, dedicated rest spaces for staff is something also that has been shown in the literature to be very helpful for reducing stress. Um, Support groups or healing workshops specific to the goal, the role of the person or the culture. So, for example, support groups for people that work in the emergency department or the ICU, uh, support groups for pediatrics, or support groups for people like me who are parents throughout the pandemic, and it was incredibly stressful. 
I know if there had been one, I would have gone to it. <laughs> um, and so also different applications, we want to try to get a wide range of modalities for people. Not everybody likes support groups. Some people like wellness apps like Headspace or any kind of mindfulness apps or exercise apps. So there's what I try to do with all these programs is try to meet people where they're at and also um, make it as available as possible to as many people as possible. And not one thing works for everyone, as we all know. Over this last year, we've done a lot of great work. Yeah, we still have a lot of great work to do. Um, I feel very confident uh, that making our programs more robust, filling in some of these gaps, uh, can provide the type of support that our staff need to thrive. Thank you so much for your time. I'm happy to answer any questions. So is it, um, is it all, uh, all staff? Uh, that have attended, you know, from managers to frontline staff? Uh, in what? In, what um, um, in any of the activities that you guys have had. I'm just trying to gauge whether our frontline staff sure, are actually sure. attending. Yeah, and that's always the problem, is that when people don't have any time or any space, it's very hard to reach them. And... Um, we do have nurses and physicians and other um, frontline workers that do come to shorts rounds. Um, I don't ask that in our other classes. Like, I don't have a poll for that. Mm -hmm. But that is always the hardest part about providing for healthcare workers is that it's a very difficult job and you're on your feet and you're not on a computer all day. So that's why I think it's really important to have multiple modalities. For example, like I might not go to a mindfulness class, but I might do it at night for 15 minutes on an app, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I hope I answered your question. No, thank you. And how long have you been doing this? Again, you might have said it earlier, Sophia, but... Well, I've been in public health for like over 15 years, but uh, I've been here for... I actually started March when the pandemic started oh, wow. about 18 months previously i was at san francisco general i went i ran our wellness department for three years uh i've taught at universities i've been a health educator i've done a lot of different things mm -hmm. but i really like working here and i feel very valued and uh i'm happy to be able to make some positive impact in our lovely staff's lives so okay Sophia, this is Taft Bouquet. Thank you for uh, the work. I, I actually love getting your emails, and uh, the slide decks are pretty darn cool, like on running meetings and all. So I, I want to say I appreciate that. So question to you is, what would be the quant? How do you quantify the success of this program? What would be some of the measurables if we're, as, as we're building the dashboard for for measuring your success for wellness. So can you give us some idea on what, what things we can measure? You gave us some, like I think you've touched about a thousand employees so far on through your various things. Are there any other measures? That that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's just for the webinars. It was 850. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and this is how I was trained, my background in community health. So yeah. that's a, a complex question, right? Because measuring uh programs like this is always inherently difficult to measure the value. That being said, the way I tend to measure, like let's say for example, short sun rounds is a great one. 
I measure that by attendance. I also measure it by the evaluation we get at the end. Now, because it's not in person, it's kind of hard to force people to like fill out an application, I mean, uh, evaluation. Uh, but the feedback that we've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly, like 99.9%. Mm. Um, as far as the other programs, it's kind of sort of the same way. If you want, you can do polls. I've done polls at the end of our webinars that I've just quickly created to see if people enjoy it, and they're all anonymous. Um, but I'm sure if you know we, I'm sure there's ways that we can address that more quant quantifiably. <laughs> So I, I would ask you to consider that. Uh, let me say, number one, I'm a big fan of the concept here and, and the work you've done. But w w wondering, you know, as ultimately we're going to have to come down to value, right? Uh, the investments, how much are we putting into this? And then what's the product we're getting out of it? I, I would assert there's a lot of uh, uh, qualitative positive and mixing that with a quantitative could be really helpful as we kind of structure and make this program sustainable. And this is gonna to lead to my second question. Uh, so hopefully that first question will lead to the second question. What do you need to be successful? What What's the stuff? That, that's, a, that's a hidden question like, how can we help you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think visibility is important. And I know that our leadership has really been making these programs a lot more visible than they were when I first started. So that is one thing. And these are, you know, these are complex questions. Um, I'll, I'll go to your first one, your first question about value. There's a lot of research out there, a lot. And I've actually been digging through it on PubMed about the, when it comes down to it, if you provide staff with very important, um, you know, wellness offerings, programs that they're less likely to leave, they're more resilient, um, and there actually are less medical errors if, if people feel supported. And there actually has been a lot of research on this. And I'm happy to share something more in depth with you at another time. What I need, um, well, I mean, the sky's the limit. It, it really all comes down to money, I think. But that's all programs. You know, it's like, do we have the staff and do we have the budget to provide robust programs? So, yeah, I mean, in a short answer, money and staff are definitely the way we can improve these programs because I'm one person and these yeah. are 7,000 people. Um, but there's a lot of other ways, and there's ways to get creative without a lot of money. And I'm not talking about a ton. You know? no. So, I mean, I'm happy to come up with a proposal that goes more in detail if that's something you all would like. Uh, I, I think this, this committee would probably appreciate the budgetary because unfortunately, financially, the sky is not the limit for us. I know. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I know you know that. But I mean, that's where I'm saying, man, uh, what, what's the business plan? Uh, because the concept sort is, is sort of a no-brainer. And, yeah. then, and then the actual execution and product as a function of uh, the cost is kind of, I think, part of our job as trustees to help steward the organization. But oh, uh, again, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm so happy. Uh, that you're sitting in the chair. I think the organization deserves this kind of program. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for your wonderful questions. Those are all things I would ask myself. So I have one I have one more question, Sophia. Sure. So since you've been doing these wellness programs, mm -hmm. have you identified like 
departments or staff classifications that you think could really benefit from these programs? And what are they? I think it would be frontline workers. So, and I don't mean just clinical or front, I mean like EVS, mm-hmm. food service. Um, it's the kind of thing that sort of has to trickle down as well as like get pushed up. You know, people have to sort of see things everywhere. And then their manager's like, hey, you know, there's this workshop. We'd love for you all to attend. You know, so it's it's a very, um, you know, this kind of culture change happens slowly, right? But I really do feel like we're on our way to getting there. But yeah, the answer to your question is frontline workers. Okay. Absolutely. And do you offer these programs during the day, like before a shift starts, after a shift ends, or in the middle of the day during lunch? Lunch Unfortunately, break. a lot of them are during lunch. Okay. You know, we just started shorts rounds, so we're just getting into it. We've only had two. Um, some facilities do rounds for evening staff when they uh-huh. have more people like me working in the department. Uh, people can do, uh, what is it called? Um, location-specific rounds. For example, if there's a really awful thing that happens in the ED, they can do a shorts round like, just for that unit. Right. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a number of different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just curious, like, who is actually attending? And, you know, for frontline staff, sometimes it's difficult, mm-hmm. right, during the day. So how do we fix that so that those who need it the most can actually attend? Mm-hmm. Not saying that they attend everything, but at least they can attend one program, one seminar, and see if it's something that they feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. right, and are able to make the time. And then also the managers being conscious that this I, is I mean, offered. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that this is offered. So that's a great potential, Quan. Who is attending? No. Yeah. Uh, I have names, but I, I don't have... By you know, job right. classification. Well, I think yeah. to that... To that same point, not only who is attending, but who are you targeting and are those people actually showing up? Uh, I think to Louisa's point, the the odd hours, like, you know, I've worked at San Francisco General with the Wellness Center, and I worked in a place where we didn't take lunch breaks. You know, the psychiatric emergency room worked eight-hour shifts straight with no 30-minute lunch. No, you were lucky if you got a 15-minute break. Um and that kind of program was exactly what I wanted to participate in, mm-hmm. but couldn't during work hours. Mm-hmm. Um, another question that I would ask about access is if you do extend the hours to, to include after five or even after seven, um, would you offer childcare so that people could show up and get wellness for themselves mm-hmm. and their families while they're, you know, like taking care of themselves. Cause that was always a thing for me as well as a single parent. I was like, what am I going to do with my kids? Mm-hmm. They have to come with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is like sort of like public health one-on-one, you know, it's like, how do we get the people to want to do it, provide them the right thing and then the access and the make it fun and take away all the barriers, all the barriers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm a parent too. I totally get it. You know, it's hard. Um, so to answer your question, who, everyone, I would like everyone to attend all our uh, wellness programs. Uh, we did 
uh, with the 1440 retreat, we did only choose frontline workers. And so that was actually done by a lottery process. And it was kind of an extensive thing, but essentially it was random and only frontline workers from various departments were chosen. So we made sure it was very diverse. Um, and then to answer your question about the access, you know, and, and the childcare, that's something we can definitely explore. I, I haven't been at this organization very long, so I don't know what can be done and what can't be. Um, but that is definitely a priority is taking away all the barriers for people. Absolutely. Yeah, and the wellness center in general, you know, it was a physical space, you know, and, and to have something like that at Highland, you know, that's not for everyone, but some people might really need that alone time in space. You know, we could provide massages or yoga in there as well. Do you think that it's possible to maybe have like a goal and a timeline for expanding this to the hours of offerings? Uh, expanding what in, in particular? Like you mean the wellness classes or the webinars or the short, like all of it? Well, so that people could access it outside of the yeah. business yeah. hours. I'll definitely give it some thought and think about like the ways to approach that. I would like that to happen. Do you feel like you have the support you need to get that? I think that's one of our board chair, our doctor chair's uh, questions often is, do you feel like you have the resources yeah. you need in order to achieve your goals? Well, resources is one thing. Support, absolutely. So I feel very supported. And I feel like my programs are being prioritized by leadership. So I, I think that can go further, however. Are there any other questions? Or comments no but you know just continue doing the work and any um input you have in terms of how to get more of our staff especially our frontline staff to attend mm -hmm. uh your seminars i think would be very useful for us yeah and some of that is related to you know you know for example nurses working their shifts you know can mm -hmm. they get the half an hour or hour designated off and so that's more of an organizational prioritizing right um, and that's above my pay grade but that's something i'm very happy to explore and i think it's a great goal absolutely okay. well looks like maybe lorna <laughs> can okay. help figure that out with you I need to call on you, James. No. <laughs> if I may, I had a I had a comment I'd like to share. Uh-huh. Yeah, I am I just want to express my wholehearted support for this program and for Sophia's work. I had the good fortune to participate in the very first Schwartz round at AHS, which was about um six years ago when my prior tenure and it was a in regards to a patient who was at Fairmont, who was a splitter. She had a gift for um, putting staff at odds with each other and, and just watching the catharsis as staff were kind of processing the feelings that they had around this, this patient. Um, it really was um, moving for me. And so I was so happy Sophie and the team were bringing Schwartz rounds back in addition to presenting the 1440 Multiversity Project in conjunction with the foundation. Um, I, I just, I don't think 
do too much in the way of trying to present opportunities for support for our staff. Trustee Esteen, I appreciate your um, comments regarding, you know, child care to staff on other shifts. I think that, you know, there's always opportunities for improvement. We can do more and we will do more, but I just want to be unequivocal in my support for this program and for Sophia. Thank you. Thank you, James. Really appreciate it. Anybody else have any other questions of Sophia? Okay, thank you, Sophia, for the report. Thank you. Would you like me to log off the meeting now? Or? Only if you, I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have some little kids upstairs that are very anxious to see me, so I should probably go see them. But I'm happy to stay on if you would like me to. I, I'll take my leave. Thank you so much. Great thank you. Thank all you. Of you. All right. All right. So next on the agenda, um, we're going to get a presentation from Lorna on the affinity groups right. um, program. So take it away, Lorna. Can you hear me okay? Because we are having some issues with Zoom today. Am I coming uh, through? Okay. Okay. So perfect. Far you're okay. All right. So this is just a quick update. I wanted to get let you know that we did get the affinity group um, toolkit posted to our intranet. And um, basically, it, it does have a lot of tools inside of the toolkit. Uh, anyone can open it up and from the very beginning um, have templates um, for all different items that they would need to form a committee. So basically, you know, we wanted to extend this and it's under the heady um, site so on our intranet it's under heady and basically you know it's open to all employees we're hoping this will um you know increase openness understanding inclusiveness um it's all voluntary and anybody can belong to any group um we think it's going to contribute not only to um uh, staff's well-being and to the community efforts but we do think it can help with recruitment and retention um, i've been involved with um affinity groups at my last three organizations and um, I, I think that the camaraderie and the peer-to-peer -peer type of um, interaction that you have, um, it really does lend itself to people feeling um, a part of the a part of the organization and engaged. So this is what it looks like on our website and you all have access to this again. It's on our heady page. And um, as you can see, uh, it has the the drop-down menu for the toolkit, and it has in there, you know, a sample charter, um, a sample mission statement. Um, it has tools on how to um, get an ext extended Zoom access or how to get Zoom access at all if it's somebody coming from facilities, EVS, food service. Um, it also gives them um, links to um, how they put out a flyer if they need assistance from our PACE group, anything of that nature. And uh, this is just, again, just an overview. Um, you know, the Hay Group as a, as a group is going to be um, fostering the, the affinity groups. However, it's my team that's going to be supporting them. So once somebody submits an application, um, we will help them do the charter, the sample bylaws. Um, we probably will be attending their meetings if they need help with facilitation or help with, you know, um, how to start their first group or first series of group meetings um, again booking conference rooms all the stuff that you would need if you had a subcommittee um, within ahs and so we're very excited 
Um, and there you go. Anybody have any questions? How many affinity groups have been formed, Lorna? Zero. I'm unfortunately here to tell you that there's been zero, but it's only been up and live for the last few weeks. Um, I plan on highlighting it again. I've been doing um, uh, town halls at different locations with employees. And so I'm going to keep advertising that they're here. They're, you know, if they need some facilitation, to be honest with you, I've always been a member of several affinity groups. And so I, you know, if I don't see any movement or traction, I probably will start the first one, to be honest with you. Ms. Jones, this is Taft. Uh, quick question. How is the organization, apart from uh, our philosophical support of it, how are we like physically supporting um, affinity groups? Are we giving them space? Are we giving them food, money, that kind of thing? So the, um, we, of course, can give them space. And now that Rock has opened up conference rooms, they can physically have space inside. Um, however, if somebody wanted to do Zoom, we will also facilitate that. Hetty does have money earmarked um, that they can use and um, provide to these groups. Um, I, you know, we've we've thought about you know if they needed to hold a community event or if they were going to um, you know make T-shirts, anything like that. We do have some money that we could they could apply to Hetty to um, you know receive. I think that's a great hook. You know, food brings people together. Yes. So do T-shirts. <laughs> Yes. And so I think sometimes it's more of, you know, I, there was a huge roll up to starting these groups. We had done a survey. I spoke about it on the CEO chat and now it's here and live. I just need to make sure that people know where it is and how to get there. And so, um, you know, I'm going to start a communication plan with my town halls to make sure people know it's here. Um, I do think that there's a real true need. Many people did respond in the surveys that they thought it was a great idea. They didn't know why we hadn't done it before. Um, so again, I think that if, when we check back in three months, you'll see that we probably have more than two or three um, affinity groups up and rolling. Great stuff, Questions? Lana. Questions, anybody? All right, Lorna, let me know when you start your the first affinity group. Okay. Madam Chair, CEO I think has our, his hands up. Yeah, Madam Chair, I think our CEO has his oh. hand. <laughs> Thank you. Just, just a quick comment because I, you know, I think it's a fantastic idea. I support it, but I also want to be mindful of the fact that there are those who see this as potentially being divisive and not inclusive. And so, um, you know, Lorna, you, Lorna, and I received some feedback from an individual who felt like that by creating affinity groups, we were, you know, almost asking people to self um, select into silos and as opposed to being inclusive, that's certainly not the intent of this program. And I think that we just have to be careful to message this so that we do not give the impression that we're looking to separate as opposed to bringing together. And so just wanted to um, share that with the trustees. Can I add to that? I think the, the key to doing that is when we, um, you know, re-engage and do a communication plan is that we put out there that this is not just for whatever the affinity group is. It's also for allies um, because I've been a part of these before and I was part of groups that are, weren't part of my um, nationality or identity, but I would go as an ally. And I thought that, you know, I love the um, 
you know, the camaraderie and the peer-to-peer interaction that you get. And I think it's a great space to show support as well. Okay. Um, so who mentioned food? Was that you, Tad? <laughs> I'm, I'm a GI doctor. <laughs> okay. Um, the reason why I bring that up, because let's see, we are coming up, like this month was Filipino History Month. And so we might want to think about as a way um, to interest people, like next year when it's Lunar New Year, maybe there's a celebration and we invite community folks, right? May is Heritage Month, March is International Women's Month. Um, that might be a way to get people interested in forming an affinity group. It's kind of low key. It's a celebration of people's culture for that month. There's food, you know, we might want to start that way. That's a great, that's a great idea. Just, just to get people interested. And I don't, I don't know if there's anything planned for um, December for the holiday season. Maybe it's a potluck. We you know, just to bring folks together, you know. Just thinking out loud here of how to get people more interested in that and start off more with a social event with food. Madam Chair, uh, I was at Alameda Hospital Day on 3 West. Uh, there was a, uh, a birthday celebration and there was Ponset and Lumpia. And people <laughs> were very, very happy. Yep. Very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's the way to do it, right? To bring folks in. When I worked at San Francisco General, we did that on 5R, and everybody could smell the lumpia cooking, <laughs> right? All the doctors would show up. You know, everybody would just show up. It was 5R. People were pretty happy on 3 West today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was on 5R where we did Fat Tuesday every month. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, I'm glad you're you're trying to start these up, Lorna, and I know you, know, I know you need support for that, but it'd be really great if the managers could also encourage their staff, right? If the unions know about it, I know you meet uh, every other week with union representatives. And so just letting them know also. Yes. And most unions have affinity groups. I know SEIU mm-hmm. does, right? So most unions have those. All right. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, let me look at my. I think we have the HR dashboard up next. Yeah. So, Robin, do you want to come on camera and share your screen, please? Okay. Are we ready? We can go yep, to the next slide. Okay. Uh, the HR dashboard. Next screen, Robin. Thank you very much. Uh, so our time to fill uh, decreased uh, to 39 days. Our target was 51, so that was good. Uh, but at the same time, I want to note that our uh, recruitment volume has uh, continued to increase. Our onboarding time uh, increased significantly to about 44 days 
our target is uh, 19 days. And this was due to the impact of the public health issued order mandate regarding COVID vaccination. Uh, so our ability to onboard during this time was severely impacted because of the employee health appointments uh, that had to be, I think, um, uh, segmented over over time, which pushed out the start date from four uh, from four weeks to six to eight weeks. Now the good news is we're starting to see a little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel, and I think uh, we are now seeing like a six week uh, time frame for that. And during the uh, first quarter uh, of the fiscal year 22, we filled 360 uh, requisitions during this time. For the residents of Alameda metrics, uh, they remain pretty steady. Our external applicants uh, were 56% of the population that applied. New hires were 59%. And our current employee population represents 62% of residents of Alameda County who are living and working uh, for the health system. Mm -hmm. uh, next slide. Next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, I just want to note on the workers' compensation um, injury report, uh, it did go up to 77 claims uh, during the first quarter, and that was attributed to 24 of those claims uh, being due to safe, to, excuse me, to uh, patient handling issues. And so the injury illness prevention plan um, uh, is going to uh, develop a safe patient handling program to try to mitigate uh, the claims. Any questions on this? Okay, next slide. Thank you. And here is our turnover, turnover for the system. Uh, it is annualized as 15.95%. Our quarterly is 3.99. And our term count uh, for this quarter was 200. The first year is annualized at 41.38%, or quarterly is 10.34%, and our term count is 84%. Our second year annualized for people are leaving in the second year is annualized at 21.58, quarterly is 5.39%, and our term count was 26%. The, the reasons pretty much remain the same, uh, resignation, uh, failed probation, and retirement. Is there any questions on the dashboard? On the resignations, we were going to try to track um, the top reasons of why people are resignating, uh, resigning. Do we have that data yet? We can do a drill down, uh, and they're for various reasons, relocation, uh, going back to school, family reasons, et cetera. But these are, here's a breakdown of the, of the reasons why people leave. So it would be for career, uh, environment, uh, health and family, um, of course, involuntary, job. Um, sometimes people leave because of their managers, which has to do, again, with culture. Uh, relocation, as I stated before, um, and some people are not happy with uh, their compensation um, and also uh, just other reasons that would fall into a different category of miscellaneous.
And I'm we ha do we have a uh, trend line of resignations through the COVID period? I, I, I think in, 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 in popular culture and in business culture, we're hearing about this term and Lorna's reference to the great resignation, yes. which is happening. Has that actually occurred with us? We are seeing or, a lot of people or retire. Are we a I'm sorry. Well, we do have a lot of, um, of people who are eligible for retirement. And so we are seeing a lot of people retire instead of working longer. Uh, and that might be due to burnout. Um, I know in reading some articles recently, I think it was published by the NPR about the great resignation and the nursing shortage. And what nurses are doing, they're just kind of saying, you know, I quit. I don't want to do this profession anymore uh, because of the burnout, because of COVID. Uh, and that's kind of nationwide. Uh, we can probably trend the resignation reasons and present them to you at the next um, uh, meeting, if you'd like. We can't get that information for you. I defer to the chair on that question. <laughs> okay. Well, just on that. Are more people um, doing the exit interviews? Yes, they are. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, so that's a good thing. We'll be getting more information versus the telephonic uh, reach that uh, um, occurred prior to May of this year. Any questions? I'm glad we're tracking this. We're watching it. Okay. Yes, we are tracking it very carefully. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, next slide. Okay, um, we're going to uh, talk about our nurse recruitment strategies. And so if we can go to the next slide, please, Robin. And here's our AHS recruitment strategy. I will let Robin take it from here. Hi everyone, my name is Robin Hodge. I'm the manager of talent acquisition here with Alameda Health System. Um, so we wanted to go over uh, our current recruitment strategy to attract nurses to Alameda Health System uh, and, and give you some ideas um, that we have out of the discussion that happened at last week's meeting. Um, so one of the uh, things that we do uh, in recruitment is we have contracts with a number of different vendors to automatically post our positions on a variety of websites. So uh, one of the biggest things that we use is Indeed. Indeed is one of our biggest sources of applicants and driver of applicants. So our jobs are um, pulled and promoted on Indeed. Every single one of our positions um, is on there. We also work with a company called Direct Employers, uh, and they uh, help us reach you know, diverse networks. So they uh, pull every single one of our jobs and post them on over 115 uh, diversity job boards targeting various diverse groups. Uh, we also advertise through Glassdoor uh, and LinkedIn as well. Um, so that's, uh, that's happening every time we have a, po a position that's available. We also have the option of sponsoring positions across Indeed, Glassdoor, and LinkedIn. And so our team is monitoring positions for candidate flow and identifying when there are challenges and sponsoring those jobs. We also, uh, depending on the difficulty to fill those positions, may uh, post on niche job boards. So we get charged uh, a fee to post on these uh, advertising locations. And in recent months, we've advertised through the Association of Critical Care Nurses, Oncology Nursing Society, uh, Community Health Nursing, Health Healthcare Education Association, American Nurses Association, 
Um, and we also were featured in the California Board of Registered Nursing's uh, quarterly report, just to give you a sense of some recent um, uh, advertising activity that we've engaged in. I have a question about uh, the continuous posting. Mm -hmm. um, I know we last, it feels like it was a few quarters ago, maybe, I don't think it was last year. Sorry, everything is a blur. We had a bunch of positions that we eliminated, uh, $26 million worth of positions that had been open for more than six months and not filled. Uh, so looking at automatic and continuous postings, I wonder how that relates to the internal tabulation for timeline. Um, and does that, you know, when job postings are continuous and automatic, there's no way to really gauge what the deadline is for applicants. So if I, you know, like if I see it's a continuous and automatic posting, I don't know if that means that if I apply today, I'll hear back in a week. Or if I apply today, I'll hear back in six months. I can't help but so the two are related. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, so our automatic and uh, our philosophy at AHS is that our positions remain posted until they are filled. So as a general practice, we do not put a deadline associated with our postings. That is done in some disciplines, but you know, in general, we find that it's most successful if we leave our positions posted until they are filled. The team is reviewing applications that come in every single day, and we have a timeline to review new applications within two days. So from two days that an application has been received, a recruiter has reviewed that application and has determined whether or not the individual has qualified or not. And that continues until the posting is filled. Um, so while uh, the position is active and is at recruitment, it will remain posted on our website um, through these various sources. Uh, through Indeed, Glassdoor, um, somebody's uh, location. So that's what we mean by automatic. So as soon as it goes live, it's featured on those websites and continuous in that it remains posted until it's filled. Mm -hmm. And how many positions, oh, sorry, um, how many positions do we still have open in uh, uh, nurse positions? So nursing across the board, we have approximately 90 positions open as of today. And it's 92 to be precise. Any other classifications uh, that we need to pay attention to in terms of recruitment? I would say uh, all of them. I would yeah, say I all of them. Aside from all. <laughs> we focus yeah. on everything uh, because our mission is to really staff the uh, organization. So we are very inclusive in terms of our analysis. So we're pretty dedicated in that regard. And we do huddles every morning and we look at exactly how many applications came in from the night before. And if we need to uh, take the team, uh, one team member to help out another, because sometimes one recruiter will get slammed with, let's say 75 applications. Another team member might have only received 25. Uh, then we ask people kind of, uh, do a team approach to kind of mitigate that so we can get through those applications and ferret out the ones that don't meet the uh, minimum qualifications and identify those that are uh, meeting the qualifications. So it's a daily um, look at what comes in uh, to the system Monday through Friday. Trustee Blue. 
I'm okay. sorry. Excuse me, Robin. Uh, my apologies. Trustee Blue, it looks like we uh, have a public comment whenever uh, you know you have a natural pause there. Um, generally, we'd like uh, our the members of our public to send a note to the uh, clerk of the board to let the board uh, clerk of the board know that they'll be uh, commenting um, in that meeting. Uh, but it's uh, your discretion whether you would like to uh, hear the public comments since we did not get a note uh, uh, prior to the meeting. Um, I'd like to ask if the comments, the you know person from the public, I think it's NATO. NATO is is it re in regards to this particular topic that uh, comment? Yeah, on? it's it's it's, re it's, re it's regarding the the the. Uh, not the recruitment discussion, but the preceding presentation about the HR dashboard. Okay. Can you hold off and let's finish off on this one? Sure. And then we'll go back to that. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to also mention that the team is doing what we term sourcing. So our advertising, which I just described, is a way to um, reach candidates that are looking for jobs. But there are candidates that may not be actively applying to jobs and their information is out there, whether it's uh, LinkedIn or they've posted their resume on Indeed. Um, we also keep a repository of every application that we receive and we can mine that data for, um, you know, ICU nurses in particular or whatever discipline that we're seeking. And so the team uses uh, te uh, techniques called Boolean searches. You may be familiar with that. It's using keyword searches to find folks who meet the, the requirements that we're looking for, for positions that are vacant. And so the team is doing sourcing on LinkedIn. We have access to Indeed's resume database, our internal resume database, as I mentioned. Um, we also, from time to time, the uh, positions that we are posting on those niche job boards do offer uh, resume databases as well. So some of the nursing associations will have that. And so when that's available, the team is also mining that data. Um, and then in terms of a sourcing technique, um, I'll refer to it. We do have our employee referral program where for hard to fill positions, we do offer enhanced um, referral bonuses as well. Uh, and lastly, we have attended events. Um, it's been a little bit challenging with uh, respect to career events since COVID has, um, has struck. We attended, uh, indeed had a healthcare career fair that we had attended and city career fairs have had remote um, career fairs as well. We are not finding those to be successful avenues, uh, the remote career fairs during the pandemic. Folks are busy working. Um, they're not looking for career fairs online. So unfortunately, the events that we have attended um, and had a representation at have not been uh, successful to date. Uh, you know, as the pandemic is sort of um, shifting now, we may find that they are um, a more successful avenue in the months to come. But for what we've experienced during the pandemic, it has been a challenge. So likewise at the city career fair that mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah city career fair is less nursing focused although we do sometimes have um, nursing candidates that come through there um but that it is another prominent uh, you know diverse um uh, career fair that we've attended for many many years uh, and then the last question that i have on the recruitment thing is how many nursing students in their senior year actually do um, their clinical at, High, at Highland or any of our other um, hospitals? And do we make any effort to try to recruit those folks? 
That's a great question. Um, so I don't know the number of clinical students. Uh, there may be somebody else on the call that can answer that. But we do have connections with the local schools to spread uh, the word about our opportunities. One of the challenges um, with that population is that our positions do require, uh, you know, a minimum amount of experience for them to have in order for them to fill a clinical nurse two role, for example. So they have to have been a nurse for, I believe it's a year, um, before they would qualify in the area of specialty. Um, so that is a challenge with the, with the current population, but we do, uh, we do work with the local schools to tell them about our opportunities and engage them. When will there be some uh, new grad programs that open up? Um, I think, question. Yeah, I think that um, uh, what I'm recommending is uh, when we get our new C and E uh, position filled uh, and our clinical educator director uh, position filled, that we work uh, with those major stakeholders to um, see when we can launch a new grad program. When's the last time we had a new grad program? And I when? think that was 2019, I believe. Correct, Robin? 2020. We had it in the yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. How many nurse educators are we uh, have we brought in so far? I believe we have two or three nurse educators. Mm-hmm. Do they have specialty focus units? I believe one is ICU, and then the rest I don't want to misquote. Mm-hmm. I think one one is an L and D, if I remember correctly. What about for the med surge force? Um, are we short there for positions also? Um, I would have to double check the specifics. We, we do have a few clinical educator positions posted, and I would need to sort of click in and figure out which uh, which department they're assigned to. Right. Uh, but we could get you that information. Yeah, um, and it's not so much the education piece. I'm looking at frontline RNs on the med surge floors. They're the most challenging to keep staffed. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering on that. On, on the subject that Trustee Blue brought up initially on this string that we're talking about, our relationship with educational programs are, are embedded recruiting mechanisms, by the way. So continued investment, and that's good. I know from a residency perspective, our house staff, at least a number of them, uh, look to join our faculty if we have positions open. So uh, those relationships as our formal relationship with education programs are built in recruiting plans. So uh, consider that as part of the strategy, which I think we do. Um, uh, okay. But 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 uh, maybe being where it is. For example, uh, I, I, we, we once had a um, medical assistant who went to nursing school and knew our system very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't have one year of experience, so she couldn't join our staff, even though she knew us very well. So these kind of strategies are the things we uh, could consider. Do we give exception to people who've trained here, question mark, question mark, question mark, uh, to help our recruiting plan? Because when they train here, they get an affinity for the place. And uh, that, that, that's hard to that's hard to that's hard to buy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to also say, you know, we've highlighted the HEAL, the Health Path program uh, mm-hmm. before. I don't know if it was during this committee hearing or during our full board meeting, but, you know, those are young people being educated and exposed in our system. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope we're able to recruit some nurse educators and a, a CNE and bring them on really soon because you're right, uh, Dr. Yeah. Chair, that is a valuable source. 
uh, recruitment talent. Mark, I see your hands up. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Blue. I think <clears throat> I think my, by way of a new chief nursing officer coming in, which should be soon, um, you know, people have a way of um, knowing people. The network's pretty tight um, in terms of people they could bring in and, and, and help us recruit, um, whether they're leaders, mostly a lot of time in leadership, um, as well as just new ideas around recruitment and retention of, of nursing staff. So um, I'm really optimistic to get our new CNO here and, you know, work with um, that person around recruitment, retention programs, um, you know, everything that um, is kind of stagnant right now for us. Yeah, I think also trying to recruit from within or to help uh, nursing aides upgrade up, yes. I think it's a way to do it as well. And I, um, yeah. I, I agree. I think the best programs are internal. We They've just gone along the wayside for um, whatever reason, but we need to think about how we grow our own and the programs mm -hmm. and the support we give them to do that. Yeah. And I know Lorna has been looking into the 2020 program <clears throat> as a way to bring LVNs uh, into a program that allows them to work part-time, but to be able to go to school full-time to become an RN. And then uh, one thing that I did, uh, I had to negotiate this contract in LA. Uh, staffing was a big issue, and we did an incentive for our um, certified nurse assistants that we negotiated that we would help support them in their uh, further education to become an RN. But as our commitment to keep them into the system, this is under dignity, um, to keep them in our system that we would not hire them at an entry level because they knew the system, they've done patient care, and we would hire them at a step two. Okay. And then for an LVNs, we would just recognize the years of service and hire them at that year. Oh, that would be great. Right. So it's something to think about, you know, to do that, because it's always better to recruit mm -hmm. from within. Mm -hmm. Orientation time is cut short because they understand the system. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I do want to mention there was a, uh, a couple of successful training programs for ICU nurses. Now, this was more lateral. Um, ICU and OR nurses, they had a training program that I believe was med surge and telemetry staff went through to qualify for the OR and ICU nursing positions, and we've just successfully placed uh, the, those who successfully completed the program into those positions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is some of that. The other piece I'll mention is that um, for the RN2 classifications across the board um, and all of our contracts, they do require the one year of experience, as I mentioned earlier, but there is a, um, a sort of a benefit to folks who complete our new grad nursing program. So there, that's the RN1 classification um, or clinical nurse one classification. They only have to serve in that role for six months to qualify for the, the RN2 classifications. So some of that um, that you've discussed uh, um, uh, is, is built in um, already in, in smaller amounts. So that's, you know, a great idea and suggestion for us to consider. Yeah. 
And how many new grads come into that program? Is it 10, uh, 12? I believe last year we had between 15 to 20 in 2020 um, that came into the program. It was a happy <clears> amount. <throat> mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Okay. That's actually pretty good that uh, the system can handle up to 20 new grads because, yeah. And then the other thing uh, that we need to think about, because there's always a shortage for critical care nurses. Mm -hmm. I got into critical care after six months at San Francisco General because there was such a need and they opened it up. Now we had to go through an interview process to see if we were ready for critical care. And I was a new grad, but that's how short we were in ICU at San Francisco General. So something to think about. Battlefield promotions can be very effective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, these are all great ideas. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, um, go ahead. Uh, so we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the current candidate market um, and the challenges that we're facing when it comes to recruitment for nurses. Um, and some of this applies to, you know, non-nursing positions as well. Um, but we know that unemployment uh, rates are, you know, um, decreasing. Uh, you, there are more jobs being posted and more people looking. So when we look at the data from Indeed and LinkedIn and Glassdoor and a lot of these big job advertisement sites, they're seeing that more companies are posting jobs. The, the increase in jobs is astronomical earlier this year, and it's still climbing. Uh, it, it, it's, it's quite hefty. So there's a very competitive market for candidates. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, job postings are, are above the pre-pandemic levels at this point in time. Um, and for nurses in particular, the traveler market has been incredibly lucrative to them. We've seen a lot of nurses who have left, um, you know, permanent roles or who have taken uh, leave from permanent roles to take on traveler positions. So when we look at our permanent and, you know, span positions that we're offering um, and advertising for, you know, in some ways we are competing with the traveler market given how lucrative it is. Um, and we'll see what, what happens with, uh, with this upcoming flu season. And Robin, it's not really a competition, is it? <laughs> no, it really isn't. They're getting in, incredible sign-on bonuses um, for some of these traveler positions. We were seeing up to $10,000 um, sign-on bonuses for traveler opportunities in some areas of the country. Um, so it is really hard to, to compete. Right. Uh, and, so. and in addition, we were seeing, because uh, I was tracking this in the market, of sign-on bonuses, just uh, astronomical, anywhere from ten grand up to thirty thousand. I saw one for fifty thousand. So uh, it it really is a um, a very volatile market, and I'm hoping that as COVID, hopefully, will uh, will have more uh, stability uh, in the near future, that the market will course correct. This is fifty thousand for registry sign-on bonus some nurses yes and i'm seeing it in the state of texas and georgia and what yeah. those states have done with their traveler market so they're asking for for travelers right and what they have put into their contracts is those travelers cannot come from the state of texas for for example so they're poaching uh, nurses from other states to get those travelers into the state of Texas, but not affording their own um, uh, nurses from Texas to participate in the travel market in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So what can I that. say about Texas? It's Texas. Well, I have nothing to say about that. I'm staying neutral. <laughs> 
I worked there for 10 months. It's different. Okay. Not as a nurse, but as a union organizer, it's different in Texas. Go ahead, Robin. Sure. We've also seen um, a very steady increase in recruitment volume year over year. So from 2017 to present every year, our recruitment volume has increased by at least 7%. Uh, you know, our recruitment team has been fairly lean, uh, particularly over the last, um, I would say, year or so. Uh, in terms of our budget, we've had to cut our budget in, uh, for advertising dollars and, and recruitment events as well, um, along with everybody else at AHS. Um, so, uh, you know, those pieces do factor into some of our ability to um, deliver and really market uh, our positions. Uh, we've also, as you heard already earlier this evening, um, experienced some new hire onboarding delays. So these are just some of the current challenges that we're facing when it comes to um, recruiting nurses in this market. When you say that your recruitment team is lean and that you've experienced some uh, decrease in the budget, what does that mean? How many recruiters um, so do you have? Right now we have eight, so thankfully we've been able to um, fill a couple of our positions um, and we've added to our team as well, uh, given the significant increasing growth of uh, positions over the past several years. You know, typically a recruiter will manage anywhere from 30 to 45 requisitions at any given time. And, you know, over the past uh, several months, having a lower number of recruiters, we had some turnover on the team, we had some employees that were on leave. Some of our recruiters were managing 75 um, re requisitions at any given time. I had to step in and carry a requisition load as well to support the team. So um, it was a bit lean, but we've gotten uh, the support now uh, in place. We actually have two recruiters that joined us within the last uh, two to three weeks. Um, so we are in a much better position right now. In terms of budget, you know, we've everyone at AHS has had to look at budget um, year over year and, and uh, make sure that they're setting a reasonable budget based on um, what's needed for their work. And so, as uh, as we've been in the pandemic time, we've not been able to travel to career events like we may have in the past. Um, and so, we, you know, every, we've had to reduce our budget um, in accordance with the guidelines. So that's all. What would be a fully staffed recruitment team? Um, you know, we'd really have to look at the numbers. So right now we're actually in a good position. Our recruiters are carrying about 40 requisitions per recruiter right now. Um, so as of today, two weeks ago, we were in a little bit of a more difficult position, but as of today, we're starting to see that even out a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a specific uh, number to give you that we need, you know, five more recruiters in order to deliver on this. But, um, you know, we have been quite lean um, um, to date. Okay. So we've actually got an advertising proposal. We've been working um, with Mark and with some of the uh, VPs of patient care services on a nurse recruitment strategy. And so we've partnered with our um, advertising firm uh, to look at what could a really robust um, nurse recruitment advertisement strategy look like. And one of the biggest trends that they're seeing is in two things, uh, Google and programmatic display or retargeter. So um, they've put together a proposal for us uh, to do a 90-day focused nurse recruitment strategy that really targets and enhances our advertisements on um, Google-sponsored jobs and Google keywords. Uh, so this really looks at um, when a nurse is looking for an RN job, bumping up the results that AHS has an opportunity. Um, it is not an inexpensive tactic, which is why we have not done it to date, um, but this could be something that we explore to do as a big push. Uh, so that would be both response jobs and keywords. 
And then programmatic display or retargeter campaign. Um, if somebody visits our website and um, doesn't end up applying, but you know goes uh, and moves on with their um, internet usage, uh, you will sometimes see little advertisements come up um, on different web pages that you're visiting. And so the programmatic display allows us to target folks who have expressed an interest in Alameda Health System in some way, shape, or form uh, to encourage them to apply to our position. So, you know, the proposal that we'd like to proceed with will allow us to see after 90 days if this is successful in generating new applications um, to our nursing uh, positions and vacancies. I think I saw there might be some questions for this. So is this a proposal that you guys are presenting for approval or a recommendation from the HR staff, HR committee, sorry? No, so I don't believe that we need board approval. Please, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is just as a result of the challenges that we've had and some of the internal work we've been doing. This is a proposal that we currently have um, available to us that we're looking at um, uh, assigning dollars to. Yeah, that's correct. Trustee Blue, this is a discussion item. I just okay. said information item for you. Okay. Thank you, Maude. Um, there's also some discussion we know on incentive options. <clears throat> so we could potentially explore sign-on or stay bonuses for some of our more hard-to-fill positions, which we know are OR, ICU, ED, and L&D right now. Um, there was some discussion around incentivizing uh, part-time and stand staff to pick up shifts. Or we could continue to promote the internal training programs, both for folks in non-RN classifications that have an interest, also across disciplines, and then um, we uh, also are looking at enhanced referral bonuses, something like $2,000 referral bonus for RNs um, in critical areas. Mm -hmm. And in addition to this, I know this is not a, an, a nursing strategy, but we're also looking at a physician strategy uh, to uh, implement regards to side-on bonuses and relocation, et cetera. Just a quick comparison. I heard you say that registries were offering up to $10,000 and we're offering $2,000. Do you think oh, sorry. we are being generous enough? So there are two different items. So registry was offering uh, a $10,000 like sign-on completion bonus. There's a mm -hmm. whole track of things that we saw for travelers staff. The referral bonus is actually for our current AHS employees to refer their friends, family members, connections to jobs at AHS. And that's a $2,000 bonus that current AHS employees could receive. That's not for the new hire. That's for the, the referring employee. Right. Is there a bonus for the new hire? Uh, that, that would be a separate topic, which is on the top, top line here, sign on and save on us. Right. How much are those? <laughs> they don't exist currently for these positions. Um, so that would be something that we would need to look at. Mm -hmm. gotcha. This is a potential option. But we do see this as a trend. Um, I, I know if you look at UCSF uh, and other uh, systems within the Bay Area, some of those uh, jobs are posted with sign-on bonuses, anywhere from three thousand, anywhere from three to five to ten thousand. Sounds very competitive compared to it the is, registry. Yes, yes, it. Yeah. Orna, I think you were going to comment on the market data for compensation. 
Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that I know that we talked about compensation. So um, uh, Trustee Asin has pointed out one of the gaps that we do currently have, which is whether we have a hire on bonus for new employees coming on board. And we do do targeted hiring bonuses for some of the hard to fill and usually the management um, type position. So we have done that or when there's a really unique position, but it is something that we're looking at to see if it's possible to roll it out in a more global fashion. I wanted to show that um, right now our compensation department has looked at our wages. So this is based on um, the different classifications um, and that our AHS philosophy is to pay at the midpoint, which is the 50 percentile. So median, right? Um, from the market of our of other you know comparators, which are you know the Bay Area, um, and currently um, for nursing, we're at the 77th percentile. And this is probably be- mostly because we're off the heels of a contract, right? We've settled with CNA and SCIU. So if we're going to enhance our um, attractiveness to p- prospective candidates, it, I don't think it's going to be right in the in the wages, so to speak, but maybe it is in the new higher bonus trustee esteem to your point. Maybe that's where we could um, get some traction with new employees. But that's what this slide shows is just um, our wages in comparison to the Bay Area. So just to repeat, make sure I understand, we're at 77% for nurses on pay, hourly wage. So like, for instance, um, I think, our, yeah, CN2, the starting rate is 6303 right now for core. So we're right at the median. So we're not, you know, going to be, we're 20, 27% above the median. So we're not the highest paid. We're not Kaiser. We're not Sutter. Um, but, you know, we're, we're above the median. So that takes into account even like some of our other um systems that pay less, you know, standalone hospitals, things of that nature, we're a little bit above. Why is our philosophy that we pay less? Pay less? Well, it's pay at the median, so pay in the middle, right? And we are paying higher than the median for these classifications. And you know what? I, that's a great question, actually, now that I think about it. I, I think that most organizations, healthcare that I've worked for at least, um, has had a philosophy whether it came from the board or from the compensation department within HR, that you want to pay at least in the median in the market, right, 50 percentile. Um, In a really um, competitive market, um, places like Sutter would probably say they pay at the 75th percentile. Um, So, you know, right now we are are at the 77th for nursing. uh, so we are paying higher than the median, but, uh, you know, it's just a fiscally responsible, it's a philosophy, it's not a policy, but it's been in place for several years here at HS. Because you don't want to lag, and, yeah, you don't want to lag, but you, you're not leading, so you're kind yeah. of in the middle of the pack. So and, and, of I, cor- and of course, sorry, apologies, and of course related to this discussion is that around 73% of our total operating budget goes to HR. And that's probably in the order of around 10 to 15 percent above similar such organizations. So we're we're in a we're in a funny place, uh, you know, trying to keep and retain talent, and this sucking up almost, uh, you know, uh, three fourths of our operating budget. It's a funny place that we're in. It, we it's a challenging place that we're in for sure. 
But Lorna, um, I'm interested in all in, meaning if you look at the entire compensation package with benefits, does it look the same or is it different? Very different. So if you took the core members that were at Fairmont and Highland and you put in their ACERA benefit, it would look even richer. However, I asked that we not do that since I wanted to show the, the group a whole look, of, you know, a global look that included our um, community hospitals and the analysis. But if that's something you're interested in, we could definitely do that. Um, I will say that, you know, from my perspective, when you're talking to, you know, the younger generation and different generations, they're not so much interested in the pension, right? I mean, like... I will tell you that probably recruitment could speak mm -hmm. to this better than I could, but they're not really concerned about ACERA so much, even though it, it is a beautiful, wonderful benefit. Um, they're really looking at base wages. That's why I just targeted base wages. Yeah. Millennials, they're really interested in jumping from job to job and not getting that golden watch at the end of their 60 or 40 years of work, work span. Well, that really creates a big challenge because, you know, we're paying all of this into Sarah and our... It's not what they want. <laughs> yeah, that's a big problem. So, so it, 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 it helps underline philosophies, which we which this board helps to get to guide with this administration. What is, what is our re recruiting? Right. Super, super interesting data. Thank you, guys. Well, we also have to think about retention, right? It's yeah. it's recruitment and retention. And I think yeah, that's absolutely. the next slide. Oh, good. I was going to ask what happened to turnover. We jumped I've been, out We've order. been doing a lot of work. This gets me excited. So Did I've we been meeting a couple slides in the. In the no, no, on. I think we had re repeat slides that we just reduced out. Oh, I missed the turnover yeah. slide. It was 39 out of 47 on the attachment to the agenda. Yeah, that was at the beginning. We had some duplicates in there, trustee, esteemed. So we just took them out. Okay, I must have missed okay. the turnover. That's okay. It's in there. Um, so this is some of the work that we've been doing since the summer. So I have met with the foundation and I have found a great partner in Preston. Um, and we had a dream session. Um, I think that's what he called it. It was a, you know, three hour dream session. And he said, what would I want if, you know, what could I give to the employees and to future talent that would make them be engaged and stay? And we came up with a whole moniker of different things and initiatives that, you know, of course I, I want money for, but that some of the, you know, easy wins I thought were um, enhanced tuition reimbursement. Our tuition reimbursement, I believe, is that $750. For our SEIU um, members that can participate in the SEIU Ed Fund, um, I've heard that they've doubled their allotment this year. And so, you know, for those members that, you know, if they decide to go that route, they, they can take advantage of that. But for anybody else, um, I would like to um, increase the enhanced tuition. I would like to enhance the tuition benefit. And so currently, um, I'm going to be presenting a proposal to ELT next month. Um, and we have um, been we've been asking our um, finance team to go back and pull data for what has been the usage of our tuition benefit. Um, career development. I have heard from many different people wanting career ladders, wanting um, a career trajectory. Um, and it, you know, we would like to give that benefit to individuals. And so we've been um, 
we have went out to the market and asked for uh, requests for proposals from different vendors um, that do executive or career coaching. Um, you know, five five sessions for helping you devise a plan on how you're going to become a manager or devise a plan on how you're going to become an RN. Um, and so that's something that we're also looking at. Um, the career ladder, um, you know, Health Path um, and our partners over there that are also part of HR, they have um, been doing a lot of work, um, also part of the subcommittee of HETI um, around this topic. And um, we're going to be expanding this work um, in the future. So that's another area that we'd like to do. And for our management folks, um, we've, we've got a resounding um, dissatisfaction with the DTO policy. So um, finance and ELT have been meeting about what do we do in the future for this for this program. You know, um, they would like to go back to PTO, um, and so we've been meeting and discussing what that would look like and, and what other type of benefits could we give to our management team. I do want to mention that um, some areas uh, of my concern in this area are uh, as far as tenure and retention has been we've had a third of management exit the organization in the last year so i'm really need to find ways to um you know increase their satisfaction their job satisfaction and so this was low-lying fruit of something that we're exploring um loan repayment programs this one is kind of global um but you know i know that it, it's a huge um, burden to physicians and, and the ebmg and uapd and our uh, independent physicians and i know many physicians that are still paying off loans you know 20 years post school and so um, they turn them into mortgages kind of like attorneys do sometimes um and so we're looking at programs um, that um, either have a matching benefit or something that um, we can go out and find in, in, the, um, in the market as far as uh, a defined gift. And so that's why I took this idea to the foundation. Um, and so we are researching all these different avenues of how to enrich our benefits. So hopefully it will come to fruition that we were able to do better with retention of our employees. Mm-hmm. And if I can add a few things onto this uh, slide here that um, that we're currently doing, um, we also are brainstorming about some retention strategies. And uh, in a department leadership meeting, we did some of that uh, on September 23rd, and a lot of different uh, themes had emerged. So we're going to be regrouping back uh, with the uh, department leadership team to see if we can prioritize and actually deploy some of those ideas. Uh, but uh, a lot, of, lot more work is going to be done in regards to retention, and we're hoping to um, gain some traction and reduce our turnover rate overall throughout the organization. Will you do me a favor and return to the the slide that was specific to nursing turnover? Yes. I apologize for missing that. Okay. Let me get my not the dashboard. I was it it after this one? I think it was like thirty seven or something. Yeah, it's it's in the attached agenda. But I see that it's missed. It's got some really amazing numbers that I think people should look at. I right. appreciate that it's in the agenda. 
Uh, yeah, and I think we we took it out uh, in error. So my apologies to you. Uh, but uh, I the, can share my screen. Oh, good, because I have them right here too. I can I can speak to it. You want to put them up? That would be great. Can you see it? So yes. So this is for the first quarter, uh, and the nursing turnover annualized was at nineteen point twelve percent. Quarterly was 4.78, and the term count was uh, 73, and that would be 73 out of 200 terms. For this first year, it's annualized at 41.27%. Quarterly is 10.32%, with a term count of 26 out of 84. And the second year is annualized at 34.9%. Quarterly is 8.72% with a term count on 13 out of 26. Now the national benchmarks for the first and second year, which is one of our uh, focus points, uh, is on a national level, the first year is around 30%, and for the second year is at about 20 to 18% nationwide, where people are leaving in the first and second year. Mm -hmm. uh, in one of the months uh, that we had, um, I sent a report out to, I think it was in the month of July, uh, in the uh, last fiscal year, uh, quarter ending, in the first year, if I can remember correctly, um, the it was up to like 60% in the first year, and the second year was like 30%. Uh, it was very quite high. Um, it's come down since then, uh, but this is a, a, an area of concern as to why people are leaving the first and second year. And they're doing it for various reasons. You know, if they can get better pay elsewhere, they're going to go. Like a Kaiser's going to offer more money uh, to a person, um, you know, to a nurse. Uh, so they're going to go over uh, and work at maybe Oakland Kaiser or Walnut Creek, wherever, right? So that's very difficult to compete with. Madam Chair, you know I love articles. Um, so I've sent an article to all the trustees uh, called uh, This is the Cost of the Great Resignation. And mm -hmm. just to, brief, to briefly quote on this, um, your organization is in danger of being hollowed out. You have three options. One, hope this is temporary and do nothing. Two, get into a salary arms race to hold critical talent, which will crush your bottom line. Three, double down on building a culture that attracts and keeps the best people. Um, a bit of math shows that the third option is the best solution. The, the cost of replacing an employee could be between 50 and 200%. Uh -huh. So I, I, I'll tell you, I'm excited uh, to hear what Ms. Jones's team is doing and thinking about these things, because I don't recall this organization having this kind of brainstorming before, and I find it terribly exciting. Are we going to be successful? I hope so, but hope but so. this yeah. this is terribly exciting that you actually get to have a dream session, Miss Jones, and and um, I, I think that's going to be hopefully the legacy of this board and this administration is to help is to help build that culture or rebuild that culture where people will want to stay here. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much for that uh, comment. I believe that if we focus on the employee experience and we respect our employees and we value them and we give them voice, 
uh, that they will stay. And that transcends into better patient care. I firmly believe that. There's been mm-hmm. studies and research done on that. Uh, and, you know, uh, when we did the brainstorming, it was very interesting. I, I, I will close it out with this, that, you know, we got some feedback based on the recruitment experience. The recruitment process needs to be fixed for the candidate experience and the hiring manager and the candidate or the new hire. And we all agree with that. And we're doing some work in that regard uh, with a with the start team and, and doing a lean process and blowing that whole thing up. That was one. But the others were really um, across the board in terms of employee engagement. You know, some people thought that we should have more staff meetings. They should really do the smile huddles and connect with people. And uh, one of the things I am excited about is creating a buddy system. Preceptor. Thank you. I can't talk anymore. Um, uh, Or, you know, a, a mentor. Uh, to help people uh, find their way in the system because they feel like they're sent on the floor and then they're they're lost and forgotten. So I think that is a really exciting part in terms of um, keeping people beyond the first and second year uh, and having a welcoming board where you put the new employees or transferees picture on the board. You welcome them. You let everybody on the staff know. So a lot of exciting ideas came out of that brainstorming session. I'm really excited about it. So, Nato, uh, I'm going to go to you because I think you wanted to address something on the dashboard since we're on it. Well, now I have to address everything. So that's what you get for making me wait. Um, (laughs) I'm always going to make you wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, enjoy your power, trust me, Lou. Uh, There's no so, power. <laughs> um, so the, I mean, w- w- so I have a couple reactions just to the t- discussion we just had about about recruitment. I really appreciate it. Really excited about the brainstorming that's occurring. A lot of promising ideas. Um, you know, when I have talked to young people, young nurses, their analysis of the landscape regarding pension is mathematically correct which is they say uh, the, the, the uh, uh, cost optimization path for me is to kill myself as a per diem and or traveler until I'm 40 and then start in the pension uh, and then max out before I retirement, uh, retire. And that is mathematically correct. Um, so if we want people to not do that, then we need to figure out other things. Um, I think in terms of what what Dr. Bouquet was just saying about um, the culture, I think there actually is an intersection with the heavy work and the affinity groups that having, you know, initiatives around mentorship programs for black nurses and uh, other types of underrepresented communities in the nursing profession can be really powerful. Um, You all should know that SEIU 10 to 1 also represents the faculty at two Bay Area nursing schools, uh, Holy Names University and Dominican University. And we have a great relationship, particularly with Dominican University. And if there are ways that we can help support recruitment at AHS through those relationships, please reach out to me. Um, Folks should know that the Ed Fund doesn't let us train and promote internally into nursing. So the design of the fund, like people can go from, you know, they have pathways for pharmacists and CNAs and other types of classifications, but there is no tool with the Ed Fund isn't set up currently 
for someone at AHS who's a CNA to become an RN. And that would be something that you all would have to instigate, uh, which we would support, but it's that's, that's a limitation that we have. What I was going to say about the dashboard earlier is that I think it would be helpful to, to get a, a layer of demographic data on some of the turnover uh, uh, stats that, that were shared earlier, because what we have seen at other um, employers and, and also at AHS for that matter, is that there are racial disparities in some of these uh, metrics. So like, for example, we tend to see higher rates of black workers not completing probation. 30 and, seconds. Uh, no problem. Keep going. Um, and so like, you know, and it, that's at least a data point that is worth digging into to understand what's happening. If, if there's a, if there's a, if there's something, a problem that is leading to black workers, not completing probation, that's something that I think we would all want to get to the bottom of, um, you know, similar with other types of, of turnover data, I think being able to pull in demographic, uh, demographic metrics to figure out if there are racial disparities at work. Um, what, 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 are, what are the underlying causes? What can we do about it? Okay. I cleared my time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, NATO. And then just for your information, NATO, Lorna and I have had conversations about trying to track ethnicity, uh, on these dashboards. So we have talked about it, whether or not we can get it, uh, we'll have to think more about it. Uh, do you have anything to add, Lorna, on that? No, and I, I do think that we do have some um, information on that that I can uh, share with you, Trustee Lou. Okay, great. That's really good. And I appreciate the clarification about the Ed Fund not tracking into nursing so that we have yeah. everything with the correct data set. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that either. Okay. So was there anything uh, uh, one, one, one more thing. I look forward to having this conversation with all of you when we, after we unionize the doctors about <laughs> doctor recruitment and retention. That's news to me. <laughs> okay. Thanks, NATO. <laughs> all right. Um, anything else? Any other questions before we ask Robin and Lynn? Any, were you done with your presentation, Lynn and Robin? Okay. Yes, we were. Yes, yes, thank you. All right, well, thank you so much um, for that presentation. It, I'm sure we'll have more questions again, but I was happy to see the presentation because we haven't seen one yet on what you guys have been doing. So thank you. You're okay. welcome. Thank you. Can I make a special request, Chair Blue? Sure. Uh, that we hear an update at a certain interval, maybe January meeting, since we won't meet in December. An, an update on on what? I'm sorry. Uh, implementation around the strategies we've been discussing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Because that's when the HR committee will meet again, right, Lorna? Is that? I thought it was later. It's in April. It's in January, right? End of January, beginning of February. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll see both Lynn and Robin again next year. 
Okay. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. All right. Okay. Madam Chair. Yes. Um, I, I just want to remind a consideration for uh, the two committee members and um, uh, that you have pre action about maybe perhaps increasing the frequency of the HR committee. We haven't yet committed to the 2022 calendar. We hope to do so uh, either at the retreat or our last meeting of the year. I'll ask uh, the committee members to contemplate whether they would want an increased frequency for the 2022 calendar. Yeah, we were quarterly, right? Yeah. It's currently right quarterly, as it, so it, it, uh, it uh, offsets with audit compliance, which are both quarterly meetings. So there are spaces, if you will, um, but um, I'll, I'll defer to your proposal, Madam Chair. Okay. Yeah, Lorna and I have been talking about meeting more frequently, um, especially on issues that we really need to address, right, and do more discussion on but I'll, I'll be talking to Lorna and then Ahmad I'm gonna and James I'm gonna need your guidance on this because I want to understand is it the same type of if say if I decide that I'd like to meet again next month what's next month November does it have to be a does it have to be a full agenda that we usually do for HR or can it be a one topic agenda like a special meeting yeah so that there's just more back and forth yes you, you can do that uh, trustee blue uh, that'll be up to you how uh, big how small you want to make the agenda and we can have certainly have a special meeting okay all right i have a question about is there a need for a closed session in the hr committee uh, it will depend on uh what you would want to discuss so I could speak with you uh, regard if there's a specific issue that you would like to discuss and whether or not that would uh, whether or not there's an exception for it under the Brown Act to discuss it in closed session so it doesn't need to just be like a standing item where we always have a closed session because of XYZ correct it has to be for a specific reason okay all right let me bring up my agenda again. Okay, so we just went through the dashboard. Um, I think we're done. Unless you have anything else to bring up, Lorna, issue tracking. And I think we've covered it all through the reports. Yes, I don't have anything else. Okay, Trustee then, All right, and then Trustee Jensen, we're welcoming you back. And we wanted to know if you had, I want to know if you had a particular item that you wanted to discuss. No, um, I appreciate the presentations. I, I look forward to hearing more about, um, about the recruitment and retention strategy. I know that's always, it's, it's been a long challenge for, um, for healthcare organizations, including Alameda Health System, but very robust presentations about all of the issues. And I look forward to hearing more in January or even sooner. Mr. CEO, do you have any closing remarks? Amazingly, 
I just put a fork in my mouth. And so <clears throat> my apologies. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have Lauren and her team highlighted and showing the work because we've been questioned about what we're doing to recruit and retain staff. Rightly so. And I know the work is happening. So this is our opportunity to show you our work. And so I welcome this forum and, and subsequent forums to continue to show what we're doing. Mike. Um, thank you, Trustee Blue. I have nothing more to add. It, it was a really good discussion and discussions like this just stimulates creativity. So um, that's what I'm appreciative for. All right. Anything else? I just want to know what Mr. Jackson's having for dinner. <laughs> Pork chops. Oh, I'm great. jealous. Very jealous. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Good night, everybody. I'm going to go have my quiche now. Bye. <laughs>